0: Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Mythgard Academy. This is session number nine of The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Uh, So yes, Stephen, I can in fact confirm we are having class tonight. Yes, Um, I am going to be traveling soon. So uh, next week, I'm going away. Uh, It's uh, road trip time, taking my son to college. So I will be on the road next week, but I believe I will be home Uh, if all goes according to plan I will be home by the week after that so I think we'll only miss the one week Um, that's not what the schedule says I know uh, because I wasn't sure of my dates uh, when I made it up but I'm going to be the schedule that is Um, but I should be getting back so I'm going to try to fix that so um, yeah Tomas pretty much I-90 most of the way yeah yeah I-90 all the way out to wherever Wisconsin or something and then north, uh, into, into Minnesota. So yeah, no, I'm going to be, uh, driving a lot over these next couple weeks. But, um, but as I say, I think we're only going to miss one week. Uh, so I will be back on whatever is two weeks from today. 25th, I think, uh, is the, is the day there. So, um, <clears throat> Yeah, Stephen says I just need a broadcast set up in my car. Yeah, something like that. Um I'm, I'm going to be doing other things in my car instead. I'm going to have the pleasure of like uh composing uh, uh accreditation documents and such from my car. So, I'm going to be I'm going to having more than enough fun uh from my vehicle already. Um but um Anyhow, so that's, uh, that is the plan. And speaking of dates, I did want to uh, just remind you guys, um, registration is open and the call for presentations is open uh, for both New England Moot and Middle Moot. New England Moot on the 25th of September, Saturday the 25th, and uh, and uh, Middle Moot on August... Uh, oh, i coming again. Middle Moot on October 9th, Saturday, October 9th. Um, uh, so uh, that is uh, pretty exciting. Was just talking about other moots down the road, um, getting ready to uh, uh, confirming in through there. So um, anyway, it's gonna be uh, uh, it's gonna be really great uh, getting these things More firmly settled as we move forward, but looking forward to the first two moots. And don't forget uh, that our regional moots are going to be fully hybrid this year. So both in person and uh, digital attendance registration is open uh, for both of those moots. So um, just wanted to encourage you to not forget to look into that. All right. Tonight we return not to Luna, to Earth. um, we were looking at uh, Prof's strategy uh, and trying to figure out, um, not by looking through to what he reveals at the end, but to be watching as he goes, as we as he goes along, um, trying to see and and uh, understand the picture of what Prof's and Mike's presumably uh, what their strategy is uh, down there in the earth. We were talking about the. I was about to say disjunction, but that's not quite the right word. Separation, perhaps, between what Manny seems to think is going on and what is actually going on. It's more and more apparent that there is a gap there, right? And we'll see some more of the evidence of this. Now, one of the primary reasons that I am... uh, One of the primary reasons uh, that I am wanting to push things this way, that is, that I am kind of... I mean, you may notice or you may feel as we go through some of these passages that I'm kind of playing dumb, uh, in a sense. That is, pretending I don't know what is revealed later on. But there are a couple reasons for this. Um, One reason for playing dumb is is that it's fun. Uh, That is, it's fun to see how it, not just to know what the result is, but to see how that result is unfolded, right? And kind of hinted at and pointed to as we go along. But part of the reason is because, well, I'm not sure I fully trust what is revealed at the end, right? That is to say, we are going to get to a point, and if things go according to plan tonight, we will get to it by the end of the evening, to the revelation of uh, when Prof reveals to Manny what was going on and why he was doing it this way. Um, But... Can we fully trust Prof even at that point? Are we 100% sure that when he reveals the truth to Manny that we really know what is going on, right? Um, That the truth has actually been revealed? It's one of the interesting consequences of setting Mike, not Mike, setting Manny up not as an unreliable narrator, exactly, but as a narrator who is increasingly and intriguingly peripheral to the main decisions, right? From the very beginning, um, one of the kind of atmospheres, right, of the entire work has been this, you know, we, 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 we know and, and, you know, Devorah, thinking back to, you know, the inquiry that you were driving earlier on, um, you know this uh, uh, does, trying to understand and fit into the big picture, right? Of um, the historical framework of the narrative, like who is he speaking to, and 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 from when, and exactly, well, and what it looked like from the beginning. And we've seen reasons to believe that we were correct in this: is that he's writing like a generation, at least one generation later, um, giving some kind of not expose exactly, but kind of telling the real story. Like, here's, here's what really happened from an insider, right? From one of the people who was on the executive cell from the beginning, right? Manny has been at the heart of the whole revolution from day one of the revolution. Day one being, you know, the day that Prof and Wyo and Manny got together in that hotel room um, and they introduced Mike to Prof. Um, anyway, so, like, from the whole premise of the book has been this is the inside scoop, right? And yet, the effect, for me anyway, of part two, the biggest overall effect, is to kind of call that into question, right? Um Because what we see is that Manny, who, I mean, it's not that he's like deluded about being at the center of things. He certainly was. But he certainly doesn't perfectly understand the whole thing right um, really get what's going on and so um, what what do we see what co- so this is why I I want to do the work of inductive reasoning and not just trust what prof reveals later on um, so anyway there's my explanation for why I'm gonna carry on uh, going through uh, instead of jumping to the answer that's given not at the back of the book but nearer to the end of section two of part two anyway okay Um, so we got through their the big initial meeting um, with the lunar authority Uh, and uh, this is we watch prof now go out into the general public for the first time right and speak with uh, with reporters India newspapers and castes were rough that night. Threat to stop grain shipments made them froth. Gentlest proposal was to clean out Luna, exterminate us criminal troglodytes, and replace us with honest Hindu peasants who understood sacredness of life and would ship grain and more grain. Prof picked that night to talk and give handouts about Luna's inability to continue shipments and why, and Stu's organization spread release threats. sir sorry. Okay, hang on, I'll do that again. And give handouts about Luna's inability to continue shipments and why. And Stu's organization spread release throughout Terra. Some reporters took time to dig out sense of figures, and tackled prof on glaring discrepancy. Professor de la Paz, here you say that grain shipments will dwindle away through failure of natural resources, and that by 2082, Luna won't even be able to feed its own people. Yet earlier today, you told the Lunar Authority that you could increase shipments a dozen times or more prof said sweetly that committee is the lunar authority well it's an open secret so it is sir but they have maintained the fiction of being an impartial investigating committee of the grand assembly don't you think they should disqualify themselves so that we could receive a fair hearing um it's not my place to say professor let's get back to my question how do you reconcile the two i'm interested in why it's not your place to say sir isn't it the concern of every citizen of Terra to help avoid a situation which will produce war between Terra and her neighbor? War? What in the world makes you speak of war, Professor? Okay, so what's Prof doing? What do we see in Prof's approach? How he is um, managing the press, right? How, what what reaction he seems to be going for, right? And We see first the way that he kind of times things. Right? It's not just what he says or doesn't say later on, right? Um, but how he kind of frames things. Right? But let's start with the with his actual responses. Devorah, yeah, he keeps redirecting. Right? And that's interesting on two levels, right? When we see him redirecting like this, the two questions that that immediately raises for me is, first, why? Or... To put it another way, what is he redirecting from? And second, what is he redirecting to, right? Is there, is there something, you know, he's not merely deflecting, he's not merely not answering, he's pushing them in a particular direction, right? So let's start with that one. What direction is he pushing them in? Well, what he emphasizes is the um, the injustice of the situation, right? Exactly, the injustice of the hearing. Um, don't you think they should disqualify themselves? Right? That committee is the Lunar Authority? Oh, I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you, to learn this. Right? Um, they have maintained the fiction of being an impartial investigating committee of the Grand Assembly. So, is uh, we had talked last time about the ways in which Prof seems to be maintaining... The moral high ground, right? And I talked about the, you know, the moral like their gravitational high ground, right? That uh, he seems to be, he seemed to be continually maneuvering uh, the lunar authority in their hearing to, into saying not only inflammatory things, but things that would make them look as bad as possible, right? Um, uh, like the outburst by the <laughs> the North American guy, right? Um, who's uh, who's pretty consistent. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he is coming back to like, look, you know, look how we're being railroaded here. Right. Look how this this is not only is this an inside job. Right. Is the Lunar Authority trying to, you know, just kind of handle this by fiat um, without actually consulting the General Assembly without actually, um, you know, bringing this to a fair hearing before, you know, a fair and impartial uh, hearing uh, before the Federated Nations. But um, but he uh, yeah, he, he shows, first of all, how they're being underhanded in doing this and how you know the delegates from luna are being marginalized in all of this right so outrage against them right um is he trying to sway public opinion in the favor of um in the favor of luna perhaps right or at least get uh, induce the earthworms to see that um uh what they're being given is that this is just serving the, you know, sort of the the private needs of the, you know, the, the private ends, I should say, of the Lunar Authority, rather than uh, of of everyone, of the whole people. But that also, he's directing them away from the question of the discrepancy, right? Which is a perfectly fair question, because in quick succession, he did say, first... Um, we will run out of food on Luna, or in Luna, uh, within eight years, um, six years, in six years. Um, but at the same time, we could increase grain shipments by a hundredfold. And there does seem to be an obvious discrepancy there. Um, and as David says, you know, he's, he seems not to be actually interested in discussing the limits on Luna's grain shipments. Uh, He says he knows that hungry people won't care that Luna can't help them and insist on war. He cares more to undermine the lunar authority. Yes, yes, I think so. Um, I I think so. Um, And I do agree, David, also, that I think it's important that Prof is the first person to mention war. Um, Again, you notice the shocked response by the reporter. War? What in the world makes you speak of war? If their mission, if their goal is to prevent war, right, to save Luna um, by seeking against hope, right, uh, a peaceful resolution to their conflict with Earth, which seems to be what Manny thought was supposed to be happening, right, on this, that was kind of the whole point, right? They're, they're coming down here to, you know, to try to appeal um, uh, for recognition, Uh, And, you know, a seat at the table at the Federated Nations and all that kind of thing, right? Like to uh, not just be treated like a slave state that needs to be stomped back into submission Um, because otherwise, you know, they might, you know, Terra might start doing the stomping. But Prof is the one to mention war. He's the one to bring it up. Um... uh, Isn't it the concern of every citizen of Terra to help avoid a situation which will produce war between Terra and her neighbor? Um, And that seems misleading in more than one way, doesn't it? I mean, first of all, are the people of Earth gonna care all that much about that, right? I mean, they don't believe, the people of Terra don't see that the people of the moon can have any... Like, this is not going to be a war, right? And uh, when he says, what in the world makes you speak of war? As will become clearer later on in another similar conversation with a reporter, it's not that they've never considered the possibility of armed conflict, you know, like, you know, the the, the exertion of force coming into play uh, in this situation. It's just that they wouldn't consider it war, it doesn't rise to the level of war because you have to have two to fight. And Luna has no ships, right? There's no, they, they can't attack Earth. There's no, there's no question of war, right? So I'm not even sure whether it's like, oh, I never thought it might come to violence. It's possible that that's what the reporter is thinking. It's also possible that he's thinking, well, I wouldn't exactly call it war. Um. Um. Yeah, yeah, Um. Yes, yeah, and Stephen, of course is recalling the sacred trust, right uh, The sacred trust goes one way, no military use of the moon against Earth. Um, and that sacred trust Stephen there's there's this irony that underlies that right on the one hand, they consider Luna no threat militarily. on the other hand, the entire point of the lunar authority was you know and, and the, the you know the, the, the lunar charter was because the moon would be such a dangerous military base, which, if it were controlled by any one nation from the Earth, could be used as a lever uh, militarily to threaten all the others, right? It would give an enormous military advantage to anyone who controlled it. And so in order to prevent that, the sacred trust was put into place, right? So the sacred trust is based upon the premise that the moon is potentially an enormous military threat. Um, they just don't think that the loonies have the capability to use it, right? So as they say, there's there's kind of a lurking irony there. Um, uh, and yes, Bruce, you're right. Uh, not only is his um, the pro, uh, prof's re- reference of war... Um, Sort of inflammatory in an unexpected way, clearly to the reporter. Um, but Bruce is right to say that uh, his characterization of the moon as Terra's neighbor, right, putting it on equal footing uh, with the Earth, is also kind of inflammatory, right? It's not her. It's not her satellite. It's not her colony. Uh, it's um, it's her neighbor, right? Um, uh, clearly challenging them, almost sort of daring them to think in these completely new ways that they're not used to thinking about Luna. Um, But also, I want to go back to his deflection away from the grain question, right? Because on the one hand, you know, he certainly seems to be deflecting away from that, but on the other hand, he seems to be begging for that question, right? Notice how Manny observes somewhat wryly, right? Prof picked that night to talk and give handouts about Luna's inability to continue shipments. First, the people are all in a ferment because the news has gone out, right, about the threat to stop grain shipments, right? And the people, especially the people of India surrounding them, are in a froth about that, we're told, right? And instead of trying to smooth that over, right, instead of trying to manage that, Prof just pours gasoline on it, right? By saying, no, now is the time to talk about how we can't possibly uh, continue with grain shipments. And then he's going to deflect talking about the hundredfold increase, which you'd think he'd just be focusing on that, right? Let's not talk about the stopping, the cessation of grain shipments. Let's instead talk about how we can help. Um, It does seem that there is a, a very real political move that they could make here, right, to try to leverage the froth. Right. Um, the, uh, the 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 public emphasis on food uh, to say, hey, uh, we are perfectly ready to go through uh, by all means. Let's talk about the hundredfold increase plan. Right. And how willing we are to do this and how we can make it happen. And all that has to happen is we just like, if we get recognized, you know, by your leaders, then we're ready to do it. Right. So it's only your leaders that are stopping this from happening. It's like it doesn't take. Much to imagine a way in which this could be spun, well, right and conveniently, and yet, not only is Prof not doing it, he seems resistant to doing it. He's deflecting away from that and towards war. No, let's let's talk about let's invite you to imagine war with Terra instead. Really, Prof? Okay. Um, uh, so uh, the the talk of war, uh. Leads them to uh, discuss how on earth there could be a war, right? What the moon can possibly do. Uh, and so Prof asks him to explain. I parroted it. Prof and Mike had worked out stock situations. I had memorized and was ready with answers. I said, do you gentlemen remember the Pathfinder? How she came plunging in out of control? They remembered. Nobody forgets greatest disaster of early days of space flight when unlucky Pathfinder hit a Belgian village. We have no ships, I went on, but would be possible to throw those barge loads of grain instead of delivering them into parking orbit. Next day, this evoked a headline, "Loonies threatened to throw rice. At moment, it produced awkward silence. What is the effect of this? Now, first of all, notice Manny says he had... Memorized. the answers that he was supposed to give. Right? So Manny is following orders here. He's following instructions from Prof and Mike. We have no ships, but would be possible to throw those barge loads of grain. They have no intention of throwing grain? Right? I mean... It, it strikes me as weird, and of course, the um, uh, not quite but almost comical element of that um, gets immediately picked up in the headline, right? Which seems to undermine the entire thing. Um, the recollection of the disaster in which the uh, the uh, you know the crashing uh, Pathfinder uh, apparently um, spacecraft took out a Belgian village when it smashed into it um, is uh, um, evocative, right? Um, you could see why that would produce awkward silence. But the way that he makes the threat, we could throw the barge loads of grain instead of delivering them into parking orbit. Sounds to me weak and equivocal, right? Not Really laying things out very clearly at all, um, if what you want is for them to take it seriously, and again, I would think that would be a big part of the a big part of the point, wouldn't it right um, you don't want to get involved into a war with Luna because it's going to cost you more than you think, right um, Remember we talked last time about how I would have thought that a show of strength would have been um, an important element of their diplomatic entourage and yet we see them consistently doing the opposite showing themselves to be weak instead um and even here when they're making a threat they still sound a little bit weak um and yes i do um i do like the uh the way in which it sounds like a wedding right the throwing rice thing um yeah yeah. So anyway, it's it's tricky, and I agree, David. It is uh, it is a delicate balance. Um, you don't want to you don't want to get their backs up, as you say. Um, but but again, it's. so I'm reading through, and I'm saying, what's the plan here? Right? Why are they taking this approach? Um, especially when Manny tells us he's following the rules. Right? He's following the plan. So. Finally, Prof gets around to explaining about the hundredfold increase, right? Um, He doesn't back off that forever. Just make sure they talk about war first, uh, right? Um, First stoke the tensions, then talk about war, then answer the question. Um, And here, remember, he's done his uh, Socratic method thing, right? Um, Was uncomfortable silence. Then a little man with strange accent said slowly, it sound to me as if you talk about way to replenish natural resource. Capital! Excellent, Prof. Flash Dimples. You, sir, will have a gold star on your term report. To make grain requires water and plant foods, phosphates, other things, ask the experts. Send these things to us. We'll send them back as wholesale grain. Put down a hose in the limitless Indian Ocean, line up those millions of cattle here in India, collect their end product, and ship it to us. Collect your own night soil. Don't bother to sterilize it. We've learned to do such things cheaply and easily. Send us briny seawater, rotten fish, dead animals, city sewage, cow manure, offal of any sort, and we will send it back ton for ton as golden grain. Send ten times as much, we'll send back ten times as much grain. Send us your poor, your dispossessed. Send them by thousands and hundreds of thousands. We'll teach them swift, efficient lunar methods of tunnel farming and ship you back unbelievable tonnage. Gentlemen, Luna is one enormous fallow farm, 4,000 million hectares, waiting to be plowed. That startled them. Then someone said slowly, But what do you get out of it? Luna, I mean. Prof shrugged. Money, in the form of trade goods. There are many things you make cheaply which are dear in Luna. Drugs, tools, book films, gods for our lovely ladies. Buy our grain, and you can sell to us at a happy profit. Um, okay. So, first of all, we can see the delightful parallel here, right? How he shifts immediately uh, from send us your city sewage and your cow manure uh, to send us your poor, your dispossessed, Um the, uh, the, the, the overall pattern here of Luna as this, like, magical, alchemical place, right? Send us everything you don't want. Send us the waste of Earth. When the waste of Earth goes to Luna, it turns to gold, right? Um, that's the kind of magic place that Luna is. Um, send us your cow manure and we will turn it into golden grain right uh send us your poor your dispossessed send us everybody you don't want send us your convicts send us your uh your 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 dispossessed send us your refugees right and uh we will send you grain right um and he you know he made his speeches about people arriving and becoming free uh and all of uh and all of this kind of thing right um so okay so what's the plan here um that is to say how does this how does this help? Well, okay. So now he's giving the pitch, right? Now he's he's helping folks to see how um working with Luna is um is uh to their advantage, right? Um and yes, Bruce, I absolutely think uh that Prof is quite deliberately Uh, repurposing the Statue of Liberty poem. Um, Prof is a a big fan of reusing old rhetoric right? Um, As we'll we'll see again later on. Um, Yeah. And James, uh, of course, I couldn't help but think of Ursula Le Guin's The Dispossessed uh, as well when we got to that line. Um, It is interesting as of course we have another um, it would be a really uh, fascinating study. There would be, uh, I think, several really interesting um uh moot papers <clears throat> there right um you've got the you've got the the two planet issue and the tension between the planets and the contrast between the planets and the you know the one w- <clears throat> which is sort of less outwardly attractive right but more utopian uh you know there's a there's a lot there's a lot there, but there's a lot of parallels between the two. But, of course, uh, Le Guin and Heinlein don't exactly either have the same interests or take the same line there. So I think it would certainly be a very interesting comparison. But anyway, um, <clears throat> OK, so again, what does this um, what does this all tend towards? warrants? Um, is he trying to make Luna sound like the goose that lays the golden eggs? So, like, you know, if you if you bomb Luna, if you support the bombing of Luna, if you're you know if your leaders bomb Luna, they're going to end up, you know, killing the goose that lays the golden eggs. Um, maybe, maybe uh, to uh, to kind of invite people to think that. Also, um, you'll notice that the the exchange is so. Would seem so obviously weighted in favor of Earth, right? You know, we'll trade you, we'll trade you grain for cow poop, right? That that does not really seem <laughs> very equitable. To the point where the, um, the, the you know the reporter is wanting to see what the catch is, right? what do you get out of this, right? What does Luna get out of this? Um, Surely, surely there has to be a catch, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Now, David says, I think it's uh, more likely they're trying to appear eminently reasonable. Yeah, it's a very reasonable thing, right? Which kind of makes his deflection before a little bit more conspicuous, doesn't it? Um, But yeah, no, this is reasonable, I think, and, and certainly paints this beautiful picture of the future cooperation, the potential future cooperation between Luna and Earth, and at a massive, undisguised profit for Earth, right? What could be better? Okay. Um, this is from Manny's conversation with the reporters about, uh, about taxes. Um, and uh, them trying to point out that... Um, Manny's exaggerating about the state of slavery that they live in, because he's like, you guys don't even pay taxes, right? Um, so uh, the reporters are trying to characterize the loonies not as slaves, but as, um, as freebooters, right? And so Manny has this uh, sort of interrogation to come back with them, right? And what do you get for your taxes? Huh? Taxes pay for government. I said, excuse me, I'm ignorant. "'I've lived my whole life in Luna. "'I don't know much about your government. "'Can you feed it to me in small pieces? "'What do you get for your money?' "'They all got interested, and anything this aggressive... "'and anything this aggressive little choom missed, others supplied. "'I kept a list. "'When they stopped, I read it back. "'Free hospitals. "'Aren't any in Luna. "'Medical insurance. "'We have that, but apparently not what you mean by it. "'If a person wants insurance, he goes to a bookie and works out a bet.' You can hedge anything for a price. I don't hedge my health. I'm healthy. Or was till I came here. We have a public library. One Carnegie Foundation started with a few book films. It gets along by charging fees. Public roads. I suppose that would be our tubes. But they are no more free than air is free. Sorry, you have free air here, don't you? I mean, our tubes were built by the companies who put up money, or built by companies who put up money, and are downright nasty about expecting it back and then some public schools. There are public schools in all Warrens, and I never heard of them turning away pupils, so I guess they are public. But they pay well, too, because anyone in Luna who knows something useful and is willing to teach it charges all the traffic will bear. I went on. Let's see, what else? Social security. Not sure what that is, but whatever it is, we don't have it. Pensions. You can buy a pension. Most people don't. Most families are large and old people, say a hundred and up. Either fiddle along at something they like or sit and watch video. Or sleep. They sleep a lot after, say, 120. And, of course, this is Manny segueing to this other topic he is supposed to hit, which is longevity on the moon, right? That the moon is a very desirable place. Again, the magical place, right? It's not only, you know, the place where you, you know, turn cow poop into golden grain. It's also the fountain of youth, right? Um, you know, Stephen, you were mentioning Uncle Andrew, uh, before. Yeah, here it is. There it is again, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, one of the things, of course, we can see in this passage is once again, um, through Manny's guidance, our, um, what sort of assumptions about, um, um, assumptions about Terra and Luna, being called into question, um, uh, facing down some of the sets of assumptions that um, uh, that earthworms have about taxes and government and all that kind of thing. What what um, what exactly do you get from the government? Um, and laying out this wild difference in perspective, right? Um, the kinds of things that they don't have, don't seem to want. What's the effect of all this? Why go through all these things? I mean, again, part of this, one of the consequences of this paragraph, of this passage, is sort of contributing to the world building some, right? Kind of going through and having Manny sort of itemize how it is they get along without a government or without taxes, right? Maybe, because it's possible, of course, that some readers might be asking themselves the same thing, right? How can they have no taxes, um, how do they get by with no government, right? Um, and here's Manny's explanation of how they get by uh, without government. Um, why talk to uh, the earthworms about this, though? Why make this part of the sort of campaign? Divorce speculating um, is this to demonstrate that they're in fact self-sufficient? Um, yeah, I mean, certainly he is trying to undermine their argument that they owe the Earth, right? That they they need government. Um, if uh, the ultimate goal is to have Luna be recognized and left alone, um, how can they be left alone? Won't it just be chaos, right? If they don't have a government, if if there's just this vacuum where you know, the warden used to be. Um, And if the lunar authority pulls out and does nothing at all, then, you know, surely things are just going to to default. They have to have government, right? They have to have all of these things. And Manny argues, no. No, we don't need this. And shows some of the differences in their culture, right? Um, One of the things which... now, And I would say, by the way, I cannot imagine, although his argument kind of works, I find as I read it that the only reason that for me it kind of works is that I've been oriented to loony society, right? It doesn't seem shocking to me anymore that when he talks about medical insurance, uh, translating that into loony terms, what that means is uh, uh, going to a bookie and working out a bet, right? That's, on the one hand... It's a really funny, kind of um, not even parody, almost expose. I mean, I mean, honestly, that's what insurance is, right? Um, you know, uh, insurance is in fact gambling, right? Um, you're, if you don't get insurance, you're gambling that you're not going to get sick. If you, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's. I mean, both sides are kind of placing a bet, right? Um, both the insurer and the insured are uh, are hedging bets. Right. When they're that's kind of kind of in from one way of looking at it, what insurance is. Right. Um, And so on the one hand, it's kind of jarring to hear him talk about it in exactly those terms. But on the other hand, when you go to critique it, it's like, well, actually, it's it's a little bit true. Right. It's it's uh, it's kind of true. But again, my point is I found Manny's arguments kind of interesting and somewhat endearing, but I only found them so instead of finding them weird and bizarre sounding because it's chapter 17, right? Because I've been oriented successfully to loony culture and the loony realities, right? Um, Before we get to this point, so that these things don't sound strange. In fact, not only were his, um, his arguments were not only kind of satisfying. Um, but I found them satisfying in a different way, right? Satisfying because I knew what he was going to say, right? I, I, I know Looney Society well enough by this point in the book that as soon as um, as soon as the Earthworm says taxes pay for government, I was like, oh man, he walked right into that one, right? Let's hear Manny take this down, right? And he does, right? And he goes through, and it's and it's it's fun, it's cool, right? Um, but I don't think it would work if it weren't chapter 17. And for these earthworm reporters, it's not chapter 17, it's chapter one for them, right? They don't know any of the. They don't have any of the background here. This is just gonna sound strange, parochial, um, rough and weird, right? Um, in other words, I can't... If what Manny is trying to do, which it seems he is, is to raise a logical counter-argument to the idea that they need somebody to govern them, that they are, Devorah, as you say, self-sufficient. I can't imagine that this argument is going to accomplish it in the hearts and minds of almost anybody on planet Earth. Right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then, Arthur, as you say, at the end of it, we have the casual dropping of the longevity thing, which he says, he tells us, was one of the things that he was making sure to get around to. It was a talking point that was on his, you must get to this, get the conversation to this no matter what list, right? And that was longevity, which does seem to be um, targeted towards generating interest for people to move to Luna, right? Um, to see Luna as this land of opportunity uh, for folks, right? Especially people getting older, right? You're starting to think about mortality. Wouldn't you like to stretch out your life by several decades? Come to Luna, right? No problem. Um, okay. But is that likely to have the effect that they're... It seems at least possible that that would backfire on them, right? Let's... um. If you find that this weird, strange-to-you group of people, <clears throat> especially with a morally checkered background, right, if you were to discover that if you'd been... um, Like, imagine, like, 19th-century England, right, transporting people to Australia. That's a parallel, of course, that was established earlier on, the transportation to Australia and the transportation to the moon. Um, Imagine... A 19th century, um, you know, Victorian railroad tycoon or something, um, discovering that—I um, uh, know they didn't have railroad tycoons like America did, but anyway, like a, a, a wealthy British person in the 19th century, uh, discovering that the um, criminals that were being transported to Australia had there discovered a fountain of youth that could add 30 years to your life and you know, turn cow poop into grain <laughs> magically, right? Um, what would be your response? Would your response be to, to, to say, oh, well, we shall recognize you as our diplomatic equals and enter into a profitable uh, economic exchange with you in the future? That's not probably how that would go down, right? Um, it might have the opposite effect of diffusing the desire to stomp on them militarily and seize it for yourself, right? It might change the motivation for why you might stomp, but I don't think it's going to be... Uh, I don't think it's going to counter-indicate stomping, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So, all right. <clears throat> and then we've got Manny's new angle, right? Well, not new angle. Because, of course... This is the next step down the road of the cow poop argument, right? It's one thing for Prof to say, send us fertilizer and we'll send you grain, right? Send us water and we'll send you grain. Um, The problem is how to send it, right? How to send it. And so this leads to the discussion between Manny and the... uh, the Chinese member of the Lunar Authority um, when they talk about the new catapult, right? If they can build a catapult on Earth, um, then they can make it happen much more easily and cheaply than using rockets the way that they have been, right? Um, and so they ta- he talks about building it in India and everything that tries to lure them into doing it, right? Um, remember, by the way, that... Prof first observed that this guy—I'm forgetting his name now—but um, anyway, the the Chinese, the guy who's going to be the prime minister of China uh, someday, um, as uh, Manny reveals, um, that he could be enormously important to their cause, and then he sends Manny in to talk to him alone, right? Um, so you go talk to him, Manny, uh, with Manny to uh, um, explain the whole catapult idea, right? Okay. Um, and then having explained it which sounds like mostly reasonable, right? My, my favorite element is, you know, talking about this almost horizontal um uh catapult on top of like these really high mountains and uh you know, the Chinese guys like well uh wouldn't snow and ice be a problem? We'd have to clear that, wouldn't we? Um, and he's like, "No problem. Send us this. Send us the snow. Right? That'd be that'd be really valuable on Earth. And you wouldn't have to try You wouldn't have to transport it. It's right there. Perfect solution. What could be better? Um, but we see that not only is he trying to talk China, Great China, right, uh, into this, but he's going around the world, uh, rolling with this, right? Kilimanjaro, I don't know how to pronounce that name, Uh, Popacatepo, that's my best guess, Uh, Logan, El Libertado, my favorite peak changed by country. All that we required was that it be highest mountain in hearts of locals. I found something good to say about modest mountains of Chad when we were entertained there and rationalized so well I almost believed it. Other times, with help of leading questions from Stu Lejois's Stooges, I talked about chemical engineering, of which I know nothing but had memorized facts, on surface of Luna, where endless free vacuum and sun power and limitless raw materials and predictable conditions permitted ways of processing expensive or impossible Earthside. When day arrived, that cheap shipping both ways made it profitable to exploit Luna's virgin resources." was always a suggestion that entrenched bureaucracy of lunar authority had failed to see great potential of Luna. True. Plus answer to a question always asked, which answered which answer asserted that Luna could accept any number of colonists. So um this is a clear trend, right? This like put the positive message you want to work with Luna. And I love the way that he is playing on each one of their patriotisms and their greed, right? Um, If you work now, you can make your country, right, the center of this new trade to, uh, to the moon, right? You can have this, like, practical monopoly on the goose that lays the golden egg up there, right? And, oh my goodness, in every way, not only is there the cow poop question, but my goodness, look at this. We've got all of this, uh, endless free vacuum and sun power and limitless raw materials and predictable conditions. Oh, we can, we can process things in ways that are just impossible here on earth, right? It really is a magical realm where these things can happen that can't happen anywhere else. Right. Um, and, um, Oh, by the way, and we can accept any number of colonists, right? So, all of you overcrowded cities, no problem, right? We've got your solution here unlimited uh, emigration uh, from your uh, country. And uh, nope. So, again, like working with us can solve all of your problems, right? We are an absolute gold mine. Um, And the Lunar Authority, they're the enemy, right? They're, first of all, idiots. And second of all, an obvious impediment. To this whole thing. If, once we are free and able to enter into the marketplace as an equal partner, right, as a free partner, oh my goodness, the possibilities uh, for any one of your countries to make itself the center of this incredibly lucrative trade. Just unbelievable. Um, uh, I mean, okay, alright. So this seems to be the message, I guess? That sounds... Maybe? Like a winner? Right? I think that might work. Where's Prof going? Prof enjoyed it all, rough as it was on him. Prof had great capacity for enjoying. He always had something new to tell about great future of Luna. In New York, he gave managing director of a hotel chain, one with rabbit trademark, a sketch of what could be done with resorts in Luna. Once excursion rates were within reach of more people. Visits too short to hurt anyone, escort service included. Exotic side trips, gambling, no taxes. Last point grabbed attention, so Prof expanded it into longer old age theme, a chain of retirement hostels where an earthworm could live on Terran old age pension and go on living 20, 30, 40 years longer than on Terra. As an exile, but which was better? A a live old age in Luna or a funeral crypt on Terra? His descendants could pay visits and fill those resort hotels prof embellished with pictures of nightclubs with acts impossible in Terra's horrible gravity. Sports to fit our decent level of gravitation. Even talked about swimming pools and ice skating and possibility of flying. Thought he had tripped his safeties. He finished by hinting that Swiss cartel had tied it up. Um, okay. Uh, what on earth is going on here? Right? Um, what is going So, first of all, um, the uh, hotel chain with the rabbit trademark. Is that a Playboy reference? I don't understand. I mean, it, I don't know of any hotel chain, or was the, there used to be one that had a rabbit trademark? Or, um, I mean, the immediate reference to, uh, you know, escort services and nightclubs. I, yeah, a Playboy resort, something like that, Arthur, is kind of what I'm assuming uh, he's hinting at here. Um, but um, uh, and that's interesting, Devore. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, Devore is reminding me that uh, um, the noun that they use throughout Earth is Warren, right? For uh, uh, for where families live, right? In different Warrens. Um, so uh, the rabbit thing kind of <laughs> kind of kind of works, right? Uh, though perhaps <clears throat> not uh, not that way. So, um, what's interesting about this, right, is that we see, you know, I talked about the moral high ground. This is a really questionable version of the, of the I don't think this is exactly the moral high ground, right? Um, now, I'm not exactly sure how uncomfortable. I'm supposed to be about this. Um, that is, I find myself a little bit uncertain as to whether or not my the kind of distaste that I personally am viewing all of these particular promises. I mean like seriously, nightclubs with Axe Impossible and Terra's horrible gravity, right? Like yeah, it makes me feel a little bit dirty inside to be thinking about prof out there being like, "Oh man, and the pole dancing you can do in 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 Luna is like nothing you've ever seen," right? I mean, that's okay, like that's I guess an argument, um, but that's not really a moral high ground argument. Um and um uh, yeah, Jocelyn says Playboy Resorts had lots of old geezers living out there. There, you know, like enjoying their last years. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yes, yes. Um, exactly, James. It sounds like he's describing Lunar Las Vegas, right? That that's exactly uh, what it what it sounds like. Um, uh, yeah. So it's um, this. Seediness of all of this, and again, I can't rule out the fact that my own negative reactions to the seediness of all of this stuff um, is part of my own earthworm perspective. Like maybe I'm, you know, too inhibited about such things or something. I, I, I you know, I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm not a hundred percent sure. This is something, by the way, that I always find really challenging, and many of you will have heard me kind of wrestle with this kind of thing before, um, often, right, one will have a strong personal reaction to something that I like, to a character, like, you know, a strong dislike for a character, or, um, you know, repugnance for something that happens in a text. And I always, whenever I'm conscious of it, and I try to be conscious of it, whenever I have a reaction like that, I always try to back up from it and try to scrutinize it as objectively as I can from that. Like, basically, is there a warrant within the text for this? As far as I can see, based on the patterns that are perceptible within the text, am I supposed to be having this reaction, right? Does the text seem calculated to induce this reaction? Or is it just me? Because it might just be me, right? There are times, definitely, when I think it's just me, right? I mean, there are some books that I read and that I find very repulsive, and I don't know that I'm supposed to find them repulsive, right? Um, I, there are a bunch of places in uh, uh, George R. R. Martin, for instance, when I find myself up against this, right? When I'm like, that's horrible, but I do not get the cues from the text that I'm meant to find it horrible, right? It's just me, fine. It's just me objecting to the culture that I'm reading about. I don't think that the story in a sense, wants. that Like the the actual internal pattern of the text. It's my own hang-ups that I'm bringing to it, right? Uh, you know, hang-ups like not liking to see people gang-raped that um, leads me to find it very repulsive. Um, but um, anyway, whatever the point <laughs> Let me not digress too far on that. But the point is, um, I always like to be kind of cautious about that. And so here... This kind of triggers some of my, like my, I, you know, I first, I have this kind of distaste for this whole passage, but it kind of triggers my alarm. Like, again, is that just me? Especially since, remember, he's manipulated this in, before, right? I think that there are times in those first few chapters, especially when, um, Heinlein is almost pushing us towards our own inhibitions, right? Our own ups. um. And not, you know, like demanding that we cast them aside, but making us confront the fact that these are our own hang-ups, right? And Manny clearly does not share them. Um, So, um, exactly, Bruce. Like my hang-up with uh, Mum or Mimi. Yes, exactly. Um, the, uh, The crossover between the maternal and... The connubial in Mimi bothers me, but it's clear from a loony perspective it shouldn't bother me, right? And so that tension between how I actually feel when I read it uh, and how the text is prompting me seems to be prompting me to feel right. Um, Seems to me to be part of the experience, and so it's important for me to be aware of that, right? Um, You can't always trust your own feelings as an indicator of what where like the text is going. You know what I mean? Um, so, okay. Um, so, what's happening here? Um, do we have reason to think that Prof is what? I guess not serious about this? Well, let's even, like, sort of consider that. Okay, so one option is that the um, the seediness of this um, uh you know, like the, the, um, exactly, cause I mean, I, I do think it's exactly what you were, um, suggesting, Bruce, that, that he is actually suggesting that, you know, the low G atmosphere of, uh, of Luna creates the possibility for extremely exotic sect acts. And that, again, seems CD, uh, at best. Um, but, um, but anyway, um, If let's say <clears throat> Prof is deliberately um, forget you know, like forget his own principles, right? That he what if Prof finds this whole line of inquiry seedy as well, right? Um, that Prof is not sincere in commending any of this, right? But rather he's doing it because he thinks it will have appeal, right? He believes that this is calculated to appeal to. Certain audience. I mean, he's talking to the manager, the director of a hotel, the managing director of a hotel chain in New York. Um, And if it's the one with the rabbit trademark that I think it is, then he's talking about like a Playboy resort, right? So he's talking to his audience, right? He's trying to tell his audience what he believes his audience wants to hear. So in that case, it's not that Prof thinks this is genuinely wonderful and this is really his vision for the glorious future of Luna, um, but rather that he is just trying to manipulate this person who can be manipulated in this particular way. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, That's a little bit less kind of alarming, right? I think there's reason to believe that Prof is in, is not serious about this. Like this, again, this does not represent his own cheerful vision of the future of Luna, right that he in fact, is hoping Luna will become you know, the Las Vegas uh, uh, of uh, uh, you know the, 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 the biggest best Las Vegas of the world. Um, and I think it's where we get to at the end. We get, I think, what is a pretty clear cue from Manny at the end. Manny ends up thinking that at the end of this speech, he ends up thinking that Prof Prop has tripped his safeties, right? Um, this is all—this is crazed, what Prof is saying, right? He segues straight from the um, uh, the nightclubs with acts impossible and terrors horrible gravity to unique new sports, which, like, in the context of the nightclubs, I don't even want to think about probably just, like, I don't know what— um, I guess like a new kind of like tackle football in low gravity or something, you know, or I don't know. Um, let's let's say that. Let's imagine it's that kind of thing. Um, and then swimming pools and ice skating and the possibility of flying, right? Um, that's what makes Manny inwardly scoff, right? This is clear nonsense, right? And we're talking about a place where they... Uh, ...used laser drills to find ice, right? Which is the most precious resource in Luna because they don't have enough water. And he's talking about swimming pools and ice skating? Really? Um, Come on, that's... And then the possibility of flying? Uh, That's... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Moripo726 in Twitch said uh, was uh, suggesting he's referring to Brockian Ultra Cricket, uh, which I think is very likely. Um, right, or Quidditch, Michelle, <laughs> absolutely. You can get a real Quidditch league going, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Um, Yes, and Arthur, I do appreciate that. Arthur is uh, uh, pointing out, uh, Arthur, one of our resident uh, uh, Heinlein experts, uh, said that uh, there's a little Easter egg there in the Possibility of Flying reference, that in 1957, uh, so about, uh, what, nine years uh, before this book was published, um, uh, Heinlein published a story called The Menace from Earth, uh, which features flying as a lunar sport. Uh, and so about 10 years later, uh, he's mocking the idea 10 years after he centered a story on that concept. Uh, so that is kind of uh, uh, a fun little self-deprecating Easter egg there, Arthur. Uh, I think that's really fun. Um, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, but anyway, so the fact that the uh, um, the impossible nightclub acts lead, Prof directly to promising swimming pools, um, ice skating, and flying, uh, which Manny obviously considers impossible, um, suggests to me that Prof is just saying anything that he wants people to hear. Even he finished by hinting that Swiss cartel had tied it up. He's trying to create a bidding war against fake opposition, right? Not only is none of this true, it's certainly not true that a Swiss cartel has tied this up. Um, So yeah. Getting people, even shady people, I think uh to um you know to to uh, what compete with each other, right this is you know making Luna out to be intensely desirable right that's um uh seems to be the goal, right so they're creating pro luna. Sentiment, helping people to see the wonderful future in cooperating with Luna. because um, of course the other implication is that and remember this kind of follows on from the uh, the way that Manny was suggesting the lunar authority had not um, you know sufficiently exploited the wonders of Terra right or of Luna rather. Um, now we can see all of the ways in which that's true. Um, They didn't realize about the pole dancing. Oh, my goodness. So many possibilities. Then we get Manny walking into trouble, right? Guess I'm ignorant and stubborn. Was both in place called Lexington, Kentucky, in central managerial area. One thing no doctrine about, no memorized answers, was life in Luna. Prof said to tell truth and emphasize warm, friendly things, especially anything different. Remember, that's Prof's advice. Remember, Manuel, the thousands of Terrans who have made short visits to Luna are only a tiny fraction of one percent. To most people, we will be as weirdly interesting as strange animals in a zoo. Do you remember that turtle on Exhibition in Old Dome? That's us. Certainly did. They wore that insect out staring at so when this male-female team started quizzing about family life in Luna, was happy to answer. I prettied it only by what I left out—things that aren't family life, but poor substitutes in a community overloaded with males. Luna City is homes and families mainly, dull by Terra standards, but I like it. And other Warrens much the same—people who work and raise kids and gossip and find most of their fun around dinner table. Not much to tell, so I discussed anything they found interesting. Every Luna custom comes from Terra, since that's where we all came from, but Terra is such a big place that a custom from Micronesia, say, Might be, may be strange in North America." Um, what do we see here? Yeah, DeVore says, This was the part when I realized what a fantastic job Heinlein had done drawing me into the loony mindset. I agree. Um, when Manny gets arrested for indecency at the end of this, right? Polygamy and indecency and inducing others to the same. Uh, it's, it's a shock, isn't it? Right. It's like, well, it's just, he's talking about the wonderful Davis family, right? What, you know, yes. You, you know, you, it's, we've kind of become acculturated to this. Right. Um, but notice the two clear things that are happening here. Right. First, Manny's ignorance, right? His innocence, even. Notice his rationalization right there in that last sentence. Every Luna custom comes from Terra, since that's where we all came from. But Terra is such a big place that custom from Micronesia may be strange in uh, in North America, right? So yeah, so I, you know, I understand that the way that we do things in in Luna are going to be a little different from what these people are used to. But, you know, just like somebody from Micronesia would would be different. But you know. So I'll, I'll have to explain, right? But, you know, I'm sure it's going to be fine. Um, I'm sure it's going to be fine. And then, uh, so that's one thing, is to notice how blithely Manny walks into this, right? Was happy to talk about it. Um, I discussed anything they found interesting. But it's not just his innocence. It's not just the... the the. Um, how he walks into this trap, right? It's how manifestly he is set up for this trap. It's not just that Prof deliberately left him uncoached on this subject, right? No, let's just ma- let Manny go and talk about his family, because I know how Manny will talk about his family, right? So yeah, no memorized answers. Just tell him the truth, right? Prof said to tell the truth and emphasize warm, friendly things. Especially anything different, right? That's the real kicker, right? Especially anything different. Um, yeah, it's uh, people, they're going to find us weirdly interesting, right? Oh no, they're going to love that, right? By all means, by all means. Um, tell them all the strangest thing, you know. The stranger, the more unlike their customs it is, the better, right? He said good night and left. I had with me, always, a picture of my family, newest one, our wedding with Wyoming. Brides are at their prettiest, and Wyo was radiant, and rest of us looked handsome and happy, with Grandpa tall and proud and not showing failing faculties, but was disappointed. They looked at it oddly. But man, Matthew's name was, said, Can you spare this picture, Colonel? Winced, Only copy I have, and a long way from home. For a moment, I mean. Let me have it photographed. Right here. It need never leave your hands. Oh, oh, certainly. Not a good picture of me, but his face I have, and did why justice, and they just don't come prettier than Lenore. So he photographed it, and next morning they did come right into our hotel suite and woke me before time, and did arrest me, and take me away, wheelchair and all, and did lock me in a cell with bars. For bigamy. For polygamy. For open immorality and publicly inciting others to same. Was glad Mum couldn't see. It is... so clear... that this is exactly (laughs) what Prof wanted. They knew this would happen, right? They absolutely knew this would happen, and Manny was completely unsuspecting. But he did it perfectly, right? He did exactly... They couldn't have had him memorize things... If their goal was to get many arrested for open immorality and publicly inciting others to the same, um, they couldn't. He couldn't possibly have memorized a better script than the one he was doing, right? Um, it's um, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, This is, of course, one of the biggest, most flagrant examples that we see of the gap, right The gap between what Manny is doing, what he thinks he's doing, and what is actually happening, right, and how he is being used. We've just been looking at a whole bunch of passages where they're se- they're seeming to like the 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 shape of their um the shape of their Rhetoric seems to be targeted at raising positive views of Luna, right? Rallying sympathy for Luna, creating motivation for Terrans to want to side with Luna, right? Or um, at least kind of, you know, get in with Luna, certainly not leave Luna a blasted wasteland where they have to start everything over again and in the hands of the Lunar Authority, right? Um, Where... There will not be, of course, the same commercial opportunities as there would be with a, with a free Luna. That seemed to be the obvious idea. And then here, once again, all of that leads up to this debacle, right? Where again, Manny's just going in the same direction. Let's build positive feeling and prof eggs him on to that, right? Oh yeah. No, they'll love it. They'll just be fascinated by this. Right? So tell them all the nice, warm, positive things that you can about Luna. Brag about how happy your family life is. Explain about your line marriage and how wonderfully that works. Um, and this will help that project of building these happy, positive, constructive thoughts about Luna. Um, and we find, of course, the opposite turns out to be the case, right? Right? Um, the opposite in every way. Not only are they not building... Does it not... Does it fail to build warm, fuzzy feelings about Luna? Um, It works in the absolute opposite direction of creating positive relations with Luna, right? It's building outrage in uh, North America, certainly, at least in Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky, negative feelings towards Luna. But, of course, it also shows most clearly... That this project that Manny thinks he's a part of, that he thinks he's doing, is not, in fact, what is happening, right? Is not, in fact, um, what their plan actually is. Um, so here we come to the, their final hearing, right? Um, when the uh, chairman of the Lunar Authority has laid out the plan... Right? The five year, the new five-year plan? Prof's response. I see, sir. We are free. Free to remain in Luna and work, at tasks and for wages set by you. Or free to return to Earth to die. Chairman shrugged. You assume that we are villains. We're not. Why, if I were a young man, I would emigrate to the moon myself. Great opportunities. In any case, I am not troubled by your distortions. History will justify it. "'was surprised at Prof. "'He was not fighting, worried about him. "'Weeks of strain and a bad night on top. "'All he said was, "'Honorable Chairman, "'I assume that shipping to Luna will soon be resumed. "'Can passage be arranged for my colleague "'and myself in the first ship? "'For I must admit, sir, "'that this gravitational weakness of which I spoke "'is, in our cases, very real. "'Our mission is completed. "'We need need to go home. "'Not a word about grain barges, "'nor about throwing rocks.' nor even futility of beating a cow. Prof just sounded tired. So this seems like failure. This is like the critical moment that it was all coming down to, and from what Manny can see, it's utterly failed, right? Um, exactly the what they didn't want to happen has happened, they've not been recognized, instead, uh, the authority has just made this uh, devious plan to try to kind of like recapture the moral high ground in a sense, right? The whole, um, it's, it's very clever, you have to admit, right? You can't say you're slaves because you're free. We'll subsidize your return to earth anytime, right? Um, I mean, it's rather transparent because it's based on his open questioning of this whole gravitational effect, right? Um, which of course may, maybe is uh, why they've been Horizontal the whole time and never uh, seen walking around, um, but um, uh, but anyway, it's a cunning move uh, on the part of the lunar authority and would seem to be and it, and creates this very. It's a it's a clever counter, right? Because as the chairman points out, it's hard to maintain the accusation of slave labor at that point, right? Um, But here's Prof, not arguing, not fighting, right? Um, He's uh, not a word about grain barges, right? So we're, we're I guess, abandoning the whole line of, uh, you know, increasing the shipments if we're free. Um, We're abandoning threats, too, right? We're even abandoning the beating the cow metaphor. Prof just seems to be giving up. Um, And Manny is simply puzzled by this turn of events. Then the chairman pulls him aside. He took me up on that high mountain and offered me kingdoms of Earth. Or of Luna. Take job of protector pro tem, with understanding was mine permanently if I could deliver. Convince loonies they could not win. Convince them that this new setup was to their advantage. Emphasize benefits, free schools, free hospitals, free this and that. Details later, but an everywhere government just like on Terra. Taxes starting low and handled painlessly by automatic checkoff and through kickback revenues from grain shipments. But most important, this time authority would not send a boy to do a man's job. Two regiments of police at once. I love the allusion at the beginning. Uh, uh, You guys got the... How many of you get the reference in that first sentence? It's an elegant little allusion by Manny, one that surprised me a little bit yeah the uh, uh, the reference uh, is to uh, Jesus's temptation at the beginning of the Gospels um, when in his third temptation uh, Satan takes Jesus up to a high mountain and looks over the kingdoms of earth and says all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me um, the same reference, by the way, that Dracula made uh, in his final temptation of uh, Renfield uh, on the uh, critical night of October 5th uh, in the book. But anyway, um, I find it most interesting because I was n- it was not at all obvious that Manny had read the New Testament, uh, actually. So, um, was inter- yeah, exactly. <laughs> Divorces, it's almost like Manny's been paying attention at church. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. I agree. Uh, that was one of my thoughts, too. Um, so, this is uh, the offer, right? And we know—so, Manny—Prof wants Manny to go, right? Um, and afterwards, Prof sa- when Manny tells him about the offer, Prof says, I trust you agreed, right? This is uh, what he was anticipating. This is part of what they wanted to happen, right, I guess? Manny does a remarkable job, I think, um, in his reactions. Notice how carefully he's controlling himself. Remember at the beginning, in the early hearings, he was given a sedative in order to make sure he didn't react too violently uh, or rashly against the things that the Lunar Authority said. And now, in the midst of all this, even you know he's going to go on and, and uh, expand about the two regiments of police uh, and everything which we know is like most calculated to really push Manny's buttons Um, and yet Manny keeps it together right Um, he has um, uh, he has that wonderful response when the uh, when the the chairman says what did you think of our five-year plan and Manny's only response is I thought it was well thought through Right, um, which is yeah, yeah. Uh, though he tells us he thought it stunk, uh, that's all he says. Um, he does the um, um, yeah. Oh, David, no, I'm I'm sorry. By the way, I'm not assuming Greg's church is Christian. Uh, I'm not at all. Um, that's why I was so surprised um, that uh, that that Manny knew that reference. Um, it's possible that they did talk about it uh, at Pillar of Fire Repentance Tabernacle, um, but I wasn't assuming that they read the New Testament uh, as I know it. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, But um, uh, anyhow, so Manny does pretty well, right? He handles himself. He controls himself pretty well um, and uh, just leaves with an immediate plan to just get out, right? Um, But when he does so, I think I think it's pretty clear he's feeling defeated, right? This like seriously, this is this is like the final insult to him, right? Um, uh, you know the whole thing has been a failure, and now just to like rub his face in it at the end, he's being invited to become the new warden himself, right? Um, you know this this like, if that's the culmination of their diplomatic trip, if that's all that he could accomplish, uh, is being you know made this offer to uh, to be the the stinking new warden, oh man, like it suggests not only, you know, a kind of a general failure, but a deep personal failure on his part, right? Um, like th- that he, what did he think he would accept that, right? I mean, it's got to like make Manny feel bad about himself, right? It just seems awful. Um, but of course. Proff shows pretty quickly after they operate Plan Scoot and get out of there, uh, and they're in the, uh, the spaceship on the way back, um, this was never the point. They didn't fail. And we see it first in what we're told about the results of his arrest in, Lex- in Lexington, Kentucky. Right? Out of those 11 billion people that is on Terra, perhaps 7 billion lived where polygamy is legal. And Stu's opinion manipulators played up persecution. It gained us sympathy from people who otherwise would never have heard of us. Even gained it in North America, and other places where polygamy is not legal, from people who believe in live and let live. All good, because always problem was to be noticed. To most of those bee-swarm billions, Luna was nothing. A rebellion hadn't been noticed. Stu's operators had gone to much thought, to plan, set up to get me arrested was not told until weeks later, after time, to cool off and see benefits. Took a stupid judge, a dishonest sheriff, and barbaric local prejudice, which I triggered with that sweet picture, for Stu admitted later that range of color in Davis' family was what got Judge angry enough to be foolish, even beyond native talent for nonsense. My one consolation, that mum could not see my disgrace, turned out mistaken." Pictures taken through bars and showing grim face were in every Luna paper, and write ups used nastiest Earthside stories, not larger number, that deplored injustice. But should have had more faith in Mimi. She wasn't ashamed, simply wanted to go Earthside and rip some people to pieces. We can see the twofold consequences of this, right? Manny was not trusted with this plan because it took him some time to cool off and see the benefits. Right. Just as you remember, he didn't remember his uh, almost risking the uh, plan on Revolution Day just because he desired more than anything else to go down and and, uh, uh, shoot the, um, you know, shoot the rapist, uh, 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 you know, peace dragoons. Right, I mean, he—he he was his emotional response was so strong, even you know understandable, uh, but his emotional response was so strong that he couldn't—he um, couldn't couldn't keep it together. Right, um, was not a cold political, uh, a shrewd, shrewd cold political creature uh, like Prof was, um, and the same certainly seemed to be the case here. But look at the results. Right, it was a huge net win. On Luna, even in North on Terra, even in North America, right. This was great press for them, and again, notice the trend of that press, right. Stu's opinion manipulators are playing up persecution. Remember the weakness, right? Oh, here we are, the weak loonies who can't even stand up, right, um, being persecuted by the big bullies, which was how they were slanting the entire council thing from the beginning, what they seemed to be trying to emphasize in their show of physical weakness, which again is not totally faked, obviously, but uh, which was deliberately emphasized. Um, so, excellent uh, general press uh, across the world um, for this, but also in Luna. And notice how it's being manipulated in Luna as well, right? Um, Manny's first impulse was hoping that nobody in Luna would ever know about this because he was personally embarrassed by it, right? He was personally ashamed and was afraid he was going to be bringing shame on his family, right? Especially since presumably, not presumably, he knew for sure that that picture of his family, that private picture of his family was being... um, you know, it, it was. Being, I mean, it was not just an insult to him personally; it's an insult to his whole family. I mean, he's he feels bad about that, right? Angry, right? But also bad about that. Um, and the result is a rallying cry in Luna. And notice how that's being manipulated by Mike and Prof. The majority of the response to the arrest in Terra is outrage against it, and therefore. More sympathy for the Luna cause, but on Luna they filter out the majority positive stories, and only send circulate the nastiest write-ups, the nastiest Earthside stories. Um, so we have the careful control of both um, of both of these things. Um, Yes, Bruce says that uh, Loving versus Virginia was decided in 1967, right around when this book was uh, was published. Heinlein is directly addressing that topic here. Yeah, the the racial intermarriage thing. Yeah, uh huh. Um, yeah, yeah. Good. Um, yeah. So I mean, it's right after this that that, that case was right after this b- book was published. But but yeah, exactly. I mean, that's uh, very much a hot button topic at this point. 1966. Um, Absolutely. Um, So what's going on here? What is the plan? What does Prof tell us is the plan based on what we see? Um, We get this is our first clue even before Manny's arrest, which is our second big clue, right? Maybe not first, but one of the biggest clues we get here is this discussion when they're, they're talking about this author that Prof wants him to read and then he tells Manny, but don't read him until this is over. Too many facts hamper a diplomat, especially an honest one. I'm not especially honest. But you have no talent for dishonesty, so your refuge must be ignorance and stubbornness. You have the latter. Try to preserve the former. For the nuts. Lad, Uncle Bernardo is terribly tired, he says, which was no doubt true, but he also wanted to stop having this conversation with Manny, right? So we get this strong hint, right? Manny has no talent for dishonesty, so his refuge must be ignorance and stubbornness. The stubbornness which he natively has um, is going to serve them well, Um, and his ignorance must be preserved, because he has no talent for dishonesty, right? So we get a clear indication of what exactly they are thinking. Now, Sarah, you're right. Um, Manny is good at keeping the secret of Adam Celine. right? Um, it's not that he can't keep a secret, but that's different from what Prof is talking about. Um, and we'll we'll come back to that um, yeah, we'll, oh, we'll get to it here. Um, this passage in the next. We had two days with naught to do but undergo drastic routines to keep us from carrying umpteen plagues to Luna. But didn't mind shaking from induced chills and burning with fever. Freefall was such a relief and was so happy to be going home. Or almost happy. Prof asked what was troubling me. Nothing, I said. Can't wait to be home. But, truth is, ashamed shame to show face after we've failed. Prof, what did we do wrong? Failed, my boy? Don't see what else can call it. Asked to be recognized. Not what we got. Manuel, I owe you an apology. You will recall Adam Selene's projection of our chances just before we left home? Stu was not an earshot, but Mike was word we never used. Was always Adam Selene for security. Certainly do. One in 53. Then when we reached Earthside, dropped to reeking one in 100. What you guess it is now? One in 1,000? The odds against us are now only seventeen to one, and they've been shortening all month, which I couldn't tell you. Was amazed, delighted, overjoyed, hurt. What do you mean, couldn't tell me? Look, Prof, if not trusted, deal me out and put Stu in executive cell. Please, son, that's where he will go if anything happens to any of us, you, me, or dear Wyoming. I could not tell you Earthside. And can tell you now, not because you aren't trusted, but because you are no actor. You could carry out your role more effectively if you believed that our purpose was to achieve recognition of independence. Now he tells Manuel, Manuel, we had to fight hard every instant and lose. So? Am big enough boy to be told? Please, Manuel, keeping you temporarily in the dark greatly enhanced our chances. You can check this with Adam. May I add that Stuart accepted his summons to Luna blindly without asking why? Comrade, that committee was too small, its chairman too intelligent. There was always the hazard that they might offer an acceptable compromise. That first day there was grave danger of it. Had we been able to force our case before the Grand Assembly, there would have been no danger of intelligent action. But we were balked. The best I could do was to antagonize the committee, even stooping to personal insult to make certain of at least one holdout against common sense." Guess I will never understand. High-level approach, says Manny. Um, okay. So, exactly, Stephen. His intent is trusted, but his ability is absolutely not trusted. Exactly. So, it's not that they think he can't keep a secret, right? It's not that they don't think he can be trusted. It's that they don't think he will be able to perform if he knew what was needed, he would not have been able to do it. The only way that they could get Manny to play the role they needed him to play was for him not to know that he was playing a role, right? For him for them to set him up to do what they knew that he would do naturally, honestly, unforcedly, right? And they had to manipulate him into doing that. And what was it? What was it exactly that they were trying to do? And the answer is fight hard every instant and lose, right? They didn't go there to achieve recognition of independence. They had to fight hard every instant and lose. Um, that was the goal, and so he goes on to explain what we were suspecting earlier on, that he was deliberately antagonizing um, the chairman, the, uh, the committee, um. He seemed to, we talked about him maneuvering them into saying rash things, right? Which seems to be true, right? Um, And, uh, but what was a little bit less clear was exactly what the end of that was. What did they hope to accomplish by doing that exactly, right? But here, Prof makes it perfectly clear what he considers the worst possible result. The thing that had to be avoided at any cost was intelligent action on the part of the committee, on the part of the Lunar Authority. It would, in fact, make sense for the Lunar Authority to treat with them. It's like they had really good arguments. They had really good arguments that they made and that they could have made, right? Um, I, you'll remember that there are times when Prof's strategy seems to be exactly counterproductive. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's exactly in the end what um, uh, that's exactly in the end what Manny thinks about it. Or, or, what What Prof suggests. Like, yes, it was deliberately counterproductive. We did not want them to. We did not want to convince them. Whatever he did, Prof had to make sure he did not win the argument. But, of course, he still made the arguments, right? The line that he was walking was that they couldn't just lose. They couldn't just throw it. They couldn't be seen to be attempting to lose. If they had failed, if they had gone down ostensibly to achieve recognition of independence and conspicuously failed, like had not even really tried very hard, right, Um, That apparently would not have been enough. They had to fight hard every instance and also lose. Lose while fighting hard. And Manny couldn't have thrown the fight. He couldn't convincingly have thrown the fight because he's no actor, right? So either... Either most likely, had they... Taken him into their confidence all the way through, he would not have been able to fight hard every instant, not in the same way, because his heart wouldn't have been in it. He wouldn't have been able to pull that off. Um, now David is thinking that maybe that Wyo might have been able to pull it off, and I wonder why Manny was the preferred envoy. Um, Prof seems to value Manny's stubbornness, because Manny will fight. Manny is a fighter. is a better speaker. She's a better rhetorician, right? But remember, that's good and that's bad, right? Why have Manny instead of Wyo? Because Manny is less likely to succeed, right? Wyo might have won them over. Who knows, right? Um, they knew... What did they know about Manny? They knew that he would doggedly pursue their ends that he would bring forth every argument that he knew and say everything that he thought that they told him to say in order to accomplish their ends what he believed to be their ends right that he would present good solid logical arguments and that he would fail to convince anybody because he thinks that rhetoric is a null program right um he's not going to succeed. There's no way. He is the perfect diplomat for this job because he's no diplomat. Again, Wyo is too good at... Remember, she's a great speechmaker. She's wonderful at swaying people over to her point of view. That would have been dangerous. She might have succeeded. Right? Yeah, no. There was no danger that Manny was going to succeed. But not only was he going to fail, he was going to fail in exactly the right way fail by presenting their argument forcibly, honestly, clearly, championing... He is the, you know, loony among loonies, right? He is the poster child for Luna. And everybody sees that. Everybody recognizes that. And uh, any loony who heard him talk would acknowledge that Manny had done and said everything that could possibly be said. And if, having heard him, having seen and heard him, the earthworms still did what they did, then clearly nothing else could have been done, right? Because that is what ultimately—what is it, in the end, the main thing that Manny doesn't understand about the high-level approach? You also know that Terra can defeat us, sure. No projection ever gave us anything close to even money. So don't see why you set out to antagonize. Please. Since they can inflict their will on us, our only chance lies in weakening their will. That was why we had to go to Terra. To be divisive. To create many opinions. The shrewdest of the great generals in China's history once said that perfection in war lay in so sapping the opponent's will that he surrenders without fighting. So on the one hand, their goal on earth was not to win them over. It was to be divisive, to create many opinions, make them fight, make them disagree, so that at the very least, if it comes to war, the whole world is not unified in that idea. Make it at least... And notice how indiscriminate Prof was in creating multiple different motivations for people to feel divided in their opinions on the subject of Luna, right? Um, some will be uncomfortable about the idea of war. The soldiers are uncomfortable about the idea of war because they don't want to go to Luna and be stuck there, as we saw, right? Um, the, uh, the, the, you know, the people of India will not want it because they don't, will not want to shoot the cow, right? Um, uh, and notice, again, they were in India uh, when... Prof made the comment about beating the cow, um, and then Manny talks about shooting the cow, right? Um, cow, India, right? It's a it's a, a, a striking image, right? I also assume he's talking about the art of war here. Yes, um, uh, yeah, um, okay. So, um, so okay. So this seems so right. It wasn't to win them over it was just to to create enough um, so that, but that suggests that their main goal then was, it's not that they thought that they would succeed, right? He's saying we didn't think we would actually win them over. Um, But we did want to make enough progress so that there was now you know, diverse opinions on Terra. If that were the only revelation that Prof had here, it wouldn't sound like too much. Right? Okay, so we had to. It still doesn't explain why they had to lose. I mean, wouldn't it have been even better if their only chance lies in weakening their will? Um, wouldn't it be even better to actually succeed in their mission and be recognized? Right? I mean, that would be better, right? Again, Manny went with the desperate hope to perhaps prevent war um, because they can't possibly fight Terra. Um, so that doesn't explain, right his, uh, uh, his Sun Tzu argument is not at all a sufficient explanation of um, why they had to lose. But then he goes on in that maxim lies both our ultimate purpose and our most pressing danger. Suppose, as seemed possible that first day, we had been offered an inviting compromise, a governor in place of a warden, possibly from our own number, local autonomy a delegate in the Grand Assembly, a higher price for grain at the catapult head, plus a bonus for increased shipments, a disavowal of Hobart's policies combined with an expression of regret over the rape and the killings with handsome cash settlements to the victim's survivors. Would it have been accepted back home? And the answer is clearly yes. We've seen these debates from the beginning, right? From we had this planted for us back at that very first uh, revolt meeting, right, Um, with those who are arguing against Prof and against Wyo, right, the grain farmer, the ice miner, right, Um, we know for sure, because we've heard it from their own, if they could get a higher price for grain at the catapult head plus a bonus for increased shipments, there are a lot of loonies that are going to be real happy with that turn of events, right? Um... uh, Local autonomy and a delegate in the Grand Assembly. Great, they've they've done it. The revolution has succeeded beyond wildest expectation. Right? Who could object at that point? There's still the outrage about the rapes and murders, but reparation would be made. Right? Not making that better, but you know, smoothing it over, um, tamping down the general outrage for sure. And then the cherry on top. A governor in place of a warden, possibly from our own number, right? It isn't just that this would have been acceptable. This would have been viewed as a triumph. I mean, and Manny would have thought this a triumph, right? Had they gotten this on that first day? He would have expected to come home to a parade. Manny would have, right? Um, again, what, what clearer vision of a successful revolution would anyone ask for um, than that, right? It sounds like victory. And Prof says there was a real danger that they were going to do exactly that on that first day. And again, I would add maybe if Wyo had been there, they might have done. She might have talked them into it had she been ignorant, as well. Um, but um, that's this is the real danger. And why is this a danger? Because remember Prof's bottom line. The bottom line is everyone on Terra dies in six years if things continue in the status quo. This is beautiful, right? But it's still continuing, even increasing, the grain shipments without bringing up the cow poop. Right, without bringing it, without replenishing their natural their natural resources, um, everyone in Luna is going to starve if this happens. That is still for Prof the bottom line, right? We have to save the lives of Luna, and if so, this would be this apparently triumphant solution would mean death, would mean ultimate failure for them. The revolution would have done more harm than good if this happened. So, they have to make sure that what the Terrans... At the end of the day, they do care some. It's important. They're trying to sap the will of their opponent to fight. But that's not the primary objective. The primary audience of their trip to Terra... Were loonies. It was the lunar reaction to their trip and to everything that happened in their trip um, that everything was primarily targeted for. We can see this most explicitly with Manny's incarceration, right? Um, look at how, look at their look at the look at the Terran attitude towards Luna and your cultures. Right. Um, And uh, anyway, it's um, it's awful. It's awful. Um, And they but they had to manage it. They had to manage the outrage. They needed Luna to be. And this is why they had to both fight as hard as possible and lose. This is why they needed Manny, because the loonies will see that he did everything that could be done, and yet the Earthworms rejected it. They, the Earthworms, are firmly set against Luna, and there's nothing they can do to avoid that. They have no choice but to move forward and attempt to attain independence even through war, right? Even braving bombings from Terra. It's their only choice. Um, Now, David, I think you're right. David says, the one thing that doesn't quite fit here is that Prof doesn't push the resource shipments as hard as he could possibly can in the press. Um, It seems like it would have been a viable solution that would not carry the same downsides. I agree. It does seem to be a legitimate solution. Um, I think... Now, I'm not sure because Prof doesn't explain this. Um, Yes, I think that he does. Here's all I can tell. Here's what seems to me to be the pattern, David, is that um, Prof does float that one idea, which is a genuine option, right? Um, If. Terra can ship raw materials to Luna to replenish their natural resources, then grain shipments and grain increases can, in fact, increase, continue and increase, and yet the starvation can be forestalled, right? That's a legitimately workable option. So why doesn't he push that more? Well, I guess I would start, David, by pointing out that he does, in fact, say this and talk about this. And remember, Manny, it's one of his things. He's going around pushing it in every single country, right? Trying to create a, an arms race who can build a catapult on their uh, local highest mountain the soon, the quickest, right? So um, that is, Prof and Manny together, uh, Prof deliberately, Manny in the dark, do in fact seem to be pushing that argument. They, they do push it forward. But I agree with you, they don't seem to push it as hard as they possibly can. And my suspicion as to why that that is the case would have to be that I don't think that Prof believes in it. I don't think that he believes that it's going... Notice the, the weakness of that argument. The weakness of that argument is that it is not immediately possible. It is premised upon them actually undertaking, and succeeding in the project of building a catapult, right? It will eventually happen within six years, comfortably within six years, to prevent starvation in Luna. That's uncertain. That that would be a gamble. And that seems to be a gamble Prof doesn't want to take, I think. Um, he's not going to actually try to rest all their hopes on that option. He, he does bring it up, right? They do... Genuinely push it. We know that they're pushing it genuinely, in a sense, because Manny's instructed to push it. Right? It's one of his major campaigns. Um, but um, but yeah, I don't think in that. I don't think it's a complete exactly. Stephen King was saying it's not an immediate solution. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yes. Um, yeah. And as Stephen Cover says, it keeps Luna reliant on terrorist shipments, actually balancing perfectly. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. If the if the numbers aren't right, or if their shipments are insufficient, it still leads to long-term starvation. Even if it slows it, perhaps some. Um, so yes, it's not. Um, it is a genuine solution. It is a genuine possibility. But it's enough, certainly, to get enough people, um, especially in India and Great China, hopeful that it is a viable possibility and maybe. We should actually work with, you know, consider actually working with the uh, the loonies to to make this happen, and yet it's not um, uh, it's not really. Um, he can't. He, Prof is not willing to put his eggs in that basket. Um, yeah, and again, we see this is back to the uh, results of uh, his incarceration, right? And so. Going back to that from, you know, after hearing Prof's explanation, we can see the emphasis on this, right? While helped Earthside, side, greatest good was in Luna. Loonies became more unified over this silly ho-ho than ever seen, had ever seen before. They took it personally, and Adam Selene and Simon Jester pushed it. Loonies are easygoing except on one subject, women. Every lady felt insulted by Terran news stories, so male loonies who had ignored politics suddenly discovered I was their boy. Spinoff. Old lags feel superior to those not transported. Later found self greeted by ex-cons with, Hi, jailbird. A lodge greeting. I was accepted. But saw nothing good about it then. Pushed around, treated like cattle, fingerprinted, photographed, given food we wouldn't offer hogs, exposed to endless indignity, and only that heavy field kept me from trying to kill somebody. Had I been wearing number six arm when grabbed, might have tried." Um, we see the results, right? Notice how this serves to activate all of Luna, right, in their outrage against Terra. They're ready to fight. Certainly ready to defend themselves, right? And notice not just that it fuels outrage like the outrage that happened uh, over the rapes and murders, um, but defend like the, these alien people, right? Are not only are they like invading, not only are they going to try to bomb us, but like they they're going to yeah, I, just like they're hostile to like in a deep, deep level hostile and repugnant. Um, and uh but there's more, right? Even notice the um and Manny seems innocent of this. He doesn't seem to see the larger political implications. Old lags feel superior to those not transported. We've talked about how egalitarian loony society is, and it seems to be, right? No real attention to background and people proud of their backgrounds no matter how disgraceful or whatever, right? Um But there does seem to be, in fact, a social divide between transportees and those who were born in Luna, Um, that there is some kind of friction there, a sense of superiority, um, old lags feeling superior to those not transported. Um, That divide is being healed, right, by helping everybody to now that. The poster child of all loonies is now a jailbird on Earth, right? It, it's, it's, a brilliant, uh, it's a brilliant piece of uh, kind of social manipulation, right? It's, it's brilliant. It all works really well. Their campaign in Earth was a spectacular success. It failed in exactly the right ways not to affect Earth but to motivate Luna. All right, well, I'll stop there. We're actually relatively close uh, to the end. We get the party in celebration upon their return. Uh, and there are a few things, of course, I want to talk about, about setting up the new government. Um, but let's go ahead and move forward. Read the first three chapters of part three uh, for next time. You've got a, few, a couple weeks to do it, right? So class again in two weeks. Um, uh, we'll come back on the, what is, I forgot already what it was. What is today? The 10th, 11th. 11th today. 25th. That's it. 25th of August, we will be back for class. So, uh, between now and the 25th, read the first three chapters of part three. So, we'll, we'll finish up part two and then start part three uh, for next time. Thanks, everybody, for joining me. Really fun discussion tonight. Uh, and uh, I look forward to entering the Tonstoffel home stretch here uh, as we move forward. Uh, see you guys after my road trip. Good night now.